Hello, this is Milling the Air, a podcast of conversation. It's conversation, Jim, but not as we know it. I'm Avanoi, and um, I am a friend of Aidy's. <laughs> yeah, hi, hi, I'm Aidy. Um, I'm, I'm a friend of Mum's, so... Um... Yeah, I, I mean, primarily I'm, I'm a project manager by trade, but like Marv, also a writer. And I, I think we wanted to do this podcast. I wanted to do this podcast primarily because I wanted to talk to you <laughs> selfishly. Um, but I had some other motivations, which are to become, you know, better informed about things, to to challenge my own thoughts and to, I guess, yeah, consolidate things, I think, and, and talk about things that maybe I wouldn't normally, because that's one of the things that you're absolutely brilliant for, is, is coming up with, with, with deep and profound things about well, subjects is... that I might not have analysed too closely. Well, um, that sounds a bit like something I'm not going to be able to live up to. Perilously, <laughs> that's something I'm not going to be able to live up to. Um, thinking about the title, um, Milling the Air is a translation of a Welsh expression um, where you are um, grinding up the air when you're just sort of chattering about things. But I like thinking what you just said, Amy, about... Um, trying to understand things more, trying to break things down into bits you can understand, grind, grinding things up. And people sometimes talk about the zeitgeist as if, you know, something's in the air. So kind of maybe what we're doing is we're grabbing stuff that's in the air somewhere and we're grinding it up into bits that are comprehensible or maybe even viewable from a different angle. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think trying to drill down into, yeah, into the root of things, really. I mean, we've had conversations before, we've had lots of conversations before, uh, and largely about the lack of um, emotionally intelligent debate, not even debate, because I'm not expecting us to necessarily disagree. We agree about a great many things, but just the ability to approach conversations in in a measured and logical way as opposed yeah. to you know going along with just what's trendy to say for example um i'm not one yeah. of those like oh p- political correctness is ruining everything because i just don't yeah, think yeah. that's true yeah. um but also you know one has to be able to to discuss stuff without uh, hysteria um yes. and, and without without trigger yeah i think that's really important um i suppose one of the things that I'm looking to see if we can get a little bit of is compassionate rationality. Yes. So that we are going to use our thinking brains, but our hearts as well. Absolutely. Um, and that's that whole idea about emotional intelligence. And it seems it seems something that um, has been set up as a juxtaposition. It has, it has, and it's not, you know, because I think it is. It really is possible to um, support and be behind people with whom you don't wholly agree, and uh, actually, you know, disagreeing doesn't necessarily equal harm. For example, definitely. In fact, sort of quite the opposite is true, and I am very conscious of the times when I've been challenged, changed my mind, and that's Mm. been an opportunity for growth, not definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, exploring these things can either consolidate thought or maybe you come at it from a bit more nuance or maybe you understand it more, but you still fundamentally think what you think. And that's OK, too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the, the format of this one, we, we discussed this again at length. So it's going to be for now anyway, a sort of thing we've learned. <laughs> from the week Uh, that could be from the news it could be from personal life it could be from conversation and then we're going to get into that and from there mine and love's conversations tend to go wherever they go um so yeah hopefully you stick along for that as well (laughs) stick around for that so yeah because we we could start with one thing and and end up with um third world debt I don't know what's going to happen absolutely absolutely (laughs) there's no script there's no nothing so I've got a thing that I've learned this week yeah you've got a thing that you've learned this week yeah. Who should start? Go on, you can start. It could, we can do alphabetical order. Oh, thanks. Okay. I'll start. So it's, so, so... So it's AM first, then MA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're a palindrome. We are a palindrome. Maybe that's what we should call ourselves. A Maybe it should be at the palindrome podcast. That would be even better. Yeah. Um, but yes, so the thing I learned this week was that my local Tesco Express is going to be shut for about four months. Right. And everyone's going, and, okay. 
but for my life that's really quite dramatic because it is yes. where I go to shop in my busy schedule and that and that got me thinking about convenience culture yeah it got me thinking about the impact of um, modern working culture on our everyday lives our routines how we format things how we get stuff done that in turn yeah. got me thinking about the pressure that there is on people to still do all of the stuff because we're in this sort of interim period aren't we where the the let's say what we could call the traditional family unit or the nuclear family whatever daddy goes to work mommy's at home yeah that's considered outdated and in the yeah. past yeah and then we've got this new way where everyone's working and striving and hustling and all that but the pressures from both seem to be equally applied. Yes. In the face of the logical fact that that just can't happen. And and I think the other thing is um, combination of social media and a lot of lifestyle programmes on telly, for example. Um, you know, if if between you, you've got five jobs, then there's a chance that your natural condition is squalor. Yeah. And and that your natural, uh, you know, nutritional habits will not involve any cooking from scratch of tasty, delicious, nutritious mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got uh, we've got a sort of unsupportable uh, pyramid of aspiration in a way, haven't we? Yeah. Pyramid of aspiration. Um, so so uh, your first reaction to the removal. This is a this is a brick in the wall of life that you've constructed. That Tesco's yeah. extra. So how are you? How are you going to be able to support things around that missing brick? Is is a question. Really. Well, I mean, really, it's no big deal. I'll I'll have to drive a bit further. There will be another Tesco's or another shop or something yeah. like that. But it, it was, it was that um the cog that or the spanner that it threw into the machine yeah. of my life, which is you know I I from a working perspective I have a very good deal I work from home I work long hours I work hard um so and I have a little dog and you know and a partner so my, my life is very much time boxed yeah all of it in order to be able to fit things in because I'm, I'm doing a degree too oh and then I'm writing a book um yeah so I think so I have embraced hustle culture and I'm into that yes. Um, yes. But it just it did, it did just get me thinking about you know the way that we construct our lives and the you know the fact that we're supposed to be either out the house or working twenty four seven but then still turning out a home that looks like we've been in it all day and and yeah. cooking meals as if that's you know a third of our workload is just doing that yeah um, and and I did and, and then I got onto convenience culture and and then think about things like Amazon for example and and how quite often for me I know I've fallen into this trap convenience would take precedence over potentially quality yes or yes. or it might take precedence over making better choices because I definitely fall into a what can I have now yeah you know yes. I mean I'm in the Carrie Fisher line of instant gratification takes too long <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be quite yeah. Honest, but... yeah but 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 what this also points out though is I mean that's there's obviously that immediacy, but there's also an element of precariousness, mm. as in what we ask ourselves to do within a seven-day period or a 24-hour period. We're asking ourselves to do a lot of things. Yes. And um, although I appreciate that this is not going to be like a kind of seven, a Plagues of Egypt situation. No, it's not. Now, now that you don't have... Now that you don't have the Tesco's extra, yeah, actually, we, our lives all interlock, and we, you know, the whole business about being time poor. Um, we, are, I'm, I'm in a situation this week where, uh, luckily for me, I've been working a lot at home, and over the last four or five days, I've had to do a lot of long drives for work. Right, and, um with a result that I feel that my entire system um, is completely thrown out. So I didn't have lunch until four o'clock this afternoon. Yeah. And it was just too much taramasalata. Now, <laughs> if I sat down at one o'clock, I would have been able to keep my taramasalata urges within a reasonable... Yes, within know, a reasonable bound. 
Because that's what, how much taramasalata is reasonable and, and what, what's excessive? Yeah, well, in this case, it was a pot, but over Entire two pot. sittings. But over two sittings. Right, I, I, don't, I think that's fine. I, I can put pay to a tub of hummus in one go yeah, without but, much trouble. But, but normally, what was, what was sort of slightly making me feel is, I didn't start eating until I was absolutely starving hungry. Yeah. Um, and then I stopped when the pot was empty. Yeah. And that's not normally I'd say, oh, I'll have a couple of slices of bread and teramos lava, that's lunch. Yeah. Yes. But, but so what I'm saying is having to drive about a bit, which put my precarious pattern of life out, just made things shook, shook things up a bit, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. No, that's it. And I think you get to that stage of hunger and then you make bad decisions, don't you? And I, and I think that, that that was something I was thinking about as well, was the, the taking time to make good decisions. Because my busyness, and I, I don't know if this is something you found or not, my busyness in the past more, and I think it's now more a habit, has definitely been a distraction from things I actually need to deal with internally. Yes. Yes, I think that's hundred percent true. Yeah, hundred percent true. Yeah, you know, for a couple of years ago, you know, I went through a divorce. That was, during that time, um, I, I was just throwing myself into work basically without conscience or thought, and, and just doing, 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 doing. Yeah. And I think that's something I've taken through. You know, I'm now in a new relationship, which is brilliant. Uh, things are going well at work. I don't need to be as busy as I am, but I can't quite break the habit. Yeah, now you see something I've realised that I um, did. I've taken a sort of ghost, if you like, a ghost of a of, a, of an activity from a previous time. Yeah, is um, because I used to feel that anything I did would be criticised yeah. and told that it wasn't particularly good. I used to leave things until the last minute. So that I had an excuse to say, oh, well, I was rushed. I didn't have time to do it properly. Got it. And, and what that was, was that was then a justification for someone criticising me. Yeah. So it's almost uh, like self-sabotage, isn't it? Because you it, predicted the yes. result. So then you make it so that you get that result. Yes. Almost so you can head it off at the past and say, well, I've owned that now. Because yes. I can tell you why it is. As opposed to dedicating another two weeks for it and... and Yes. Just knocking it out of the park or whatever. I, I Yes, exactly. And now I've realised that that's not a part of my life yeah. in any way. I, um, I allow myself a proper time to do something. And if I say, last night, for example, someone asked me to do something and I said, I will not have time to do this until certainly much later tomorrow. It's really hard to so do that, I think. So if you want it done now, yeah, if you want it done in the next 12 hours, I, I'm not the person to ask. And although this doesn't sound at all revolutionary, it is quite revolutionary for me because what I would otherwise have done is taken it on, rushed it, then laid myself open to criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just run yourself ragged, even if everyone had loved it. You know, you've then put yourself through that where then, like I say, you haven't paid attention to other things. And, and I've been definitely guilty of this is, um, you know, filling that space just because someone's made a request. Of course, I also teach riding. I'm a yeah. riding coach as well. And um, I had a request the other day. Someone said, oh, you know, a message and said, oh, are you still teaching? Would you come out for some lessons? And and I don't really teach so much now. It's definitely on a selective basis, but she's known yeah. to a friend of mine. So I said, yeah, okay, that's absolutely fine. I'll yeah. come out. And she said, oh, when could you come out? And I looked at the calendar and it's like, and it's how the priorities shift, isn't it? So then there's like any yeah. time for my partner and then, you know, time for, you know, other family stuff. And, and I said, 28th of May. Yeah. That's the earliest. Yeah. Whereas I'd have yeah. gone, oh, I could fit you in of an evening this, evening that, she entered it out. And that, this is related to Tesco Express, I promise. That is how yeah. I then end up at nine o'clock at night buying pre-packaged crap from yeah. Tesco Express as opposed to actually planning it, cooking myself a proper meal, just sort of sitting yes. down because that's fine to do. And no, none of this is revolutionary, but I think for a lot of people, um, it's important to hear that you can just give yourself permission to say, no, I can do it then. 
and, and actually another, then if someone yeah. opts out that's not a reflection on you whatsoever and, and another thing i found um which fits in exactly to this is in the attempt to please everyone uh there are times when i have found myself completely inadvertently triple booked yes uh, me too me too me too yeah and, yeah and at that point um in the past i would be tempted to um unpick the lot uh, by blaming myself. Mm. Um, but one thing I've certainly noticed is that very often something that you worry about turns out not to happen anyway. Yeah, so, <laughs> actually so, most of the time. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I had this with, I had this, I had a, uh, a week, um, a couple of weeks ago where I had a month's worth of jobs to do in a week. Right. I decided that I would manage that by working Saturday and Sunday as well. Um, and various other things. And then the person who I was working with in the middle of the week rang on Monday night and said, you know, you said you'd see me Wednesday evening. Can we make that Tuesday evening instead? And I said, no, we, you know, the previous we week yeah. said, um, yeah, yeah, but late. And I'll leave Burton on Trent at 10 o'clock at night and I'll be there by whatever. And, and now no. I said, no, no. I said, no, what we'll do is I'll see you Wednesday evening and we'll make a good day of it on Thursday. Um, and I can't change my plans at this point. And this sounds like such a basic thing. Yeah. But, uh, five years ago, I certainly would not have done that. I would have attempted to, um, I, I would have attempted to try and do the impossible and done none of it well. Yeah, that's it. And you end up just running around it and you always compromise somewhere. Um, yeah. So it's the same. So, I, you know, I used to teach all evenings and kind of every day at the weekend and everything. And that was fine, you know, for a while because I had sort of nothing else going on anyway. Though, well, that's not true. I could have. I just filled it up with work so that I didn't have yeah. to be like, oh, I'm miserable. Um, yeah. so, you know, um, yeah. And then, of course, I met my partner and then wanting to kind of free up a day at the weekend, that kind of thing. And, and having to say to people, lessons are just going to be Sundays and I had yeah. built this up in my head to be such a mountain that people yeah. are going to be really upset and I sort of felt like oh I'm going to have to let people down which is ridiculous because you've only all you've got is your life yeah you know yeah. and this thing of like loyalty is loyalty is important I'm not saying you should go and just screw yeah. people over left and right but you have to act in your own interest first as long as no one else is being harmed by that um and actually I delivered that message and everyone oh yeah cool we swapped Sunday it's like oh <laughs> I made yeah. that into such yeah. a drama for myself and I just yes that. yeah well yes see something I've realized and this again is something you know that that I um again just as a level of self-knowledge which would have been so handy 10 years ago yeah um I can work two two weeks and both weekends so 14 days on stretch yes yeah but the weekend after that, I need a chill day. Yes. And now I would say, um, so I work this weekend, so I would say um, I will I will have a relatively quiet weekend mm. next weekend. And that includes social stuff as well. Yeah. So not saying I'm going to do something fun but strenuous. No. Um, and, but, 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 but what you've been talking about is the way in which we emotionally manage ourselves because there's stuff that we're not thinking about or talking about yeah so we keep ourselves busy busy because, yeah, because it's easier to, to manage activity than to manage thought <laughs> and um, yes i find i find and and i like i like that you um bring up actually about self-knowledge and it's it's an interesting thing self-knowledge isn't it because you don't have it in the moment when you need it <laughs> I think the moment yes. when you need it and don't have it is how you inquire acquire it and that's yes. the great irony of being alive okay you get to use it next time yeah but the first time you need it and don't have it is always kind of a bummer well it, it's interesting you say that because I was looking I was listening to a podcast in the week um by Louise Perry and somebody else I can't remember. And she was talking about, um, as people do on podcasts, about modern life, as we're talking about now. As we are talking about now. And she was talking about the way in which 
in a sense, we're brought up, uh, and it's it, I would say it's due to consumerism. She didn't, but I would. We're brought up to believe that a pain-free existence is possible. Yeah. And, of course, what in fact is true is that pain and challenge, those are the points where you grow and they you are. get that self-knowledge. And so you say, either you say to yourself, how on earth have I got myself into this pickle? Yeah. Yes. Or you say, why is this hurting me? Yeah. Yeah. Because what I had hoped or my needs are not being met in the situation in some way. And um, so she was saying, she was talking about how people in relationships can sometimes, um, sometimes not have a clear idea of what it is that they need. Yeah. And therefore have a vague idea that things aren't working for them without much of a pattern as to what would, you know, what would, you know, they call anything about what would good look yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, or why isn't it working? Or, or you know, because there's yeah. so much that, isn't there? So much that, and I agree with you that I don't think it's possible to have a pain-free life because if a pain-free life, pain-free just means that nothing's happened. Yeah. Nothing at yes. all. Yes. Because you can be caused pain by something very positive. I've, I've loved so much it hurts. Yes. Do you yes. know what I mean? And that kind of yeah. thing. So if, if there's no pain at all, then, yeah, that means there's nothing happened. If nothing happened, then there is no growth. And I think that that is key to what, what you also just said about the relationships and like having a sense that something's not working. But why? Because sometimes you could feel that something's not working because of something that's happening with you that actually might not be related to that particular relationship. Yes. I mean, it might be. Yeah, and pain's yeah. always a warning yeah. sign and you shouldn't um, ignore it. And I'm definitely yeah. not saying that if you think there's something with the relationship, you shouldn't address it and just blame yourself yeah. because that's, that's somewhere I've also been. No, and, no. Um, and that's not good either. If something comes up and you feel a way in your relationship, you should address it in a calm and rational yeah. way uh, and talk it through and explore together what that might be. And that's something I had to do in my current relationship yeah. um, because I had brought old things with me yes and yes. certain things came up that actually weren't anything to do with my partner or what he was doing he's a wonderful yeah. man he's excellent um but I had come in with suspicion yeah and I had come in with a guardedness and a paranoia which yeah. if he'd been a different person could have been a real problem um yeah. because I'd been so busy I hadn't looked at that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, see, that's very that's very interesting, and that's very interesting. The idea about suspicion, yeah, uh, and how you regard somebody, yes. Um, this is one of the things that worries me a bit about some of the discussion that we are having today. When people say, for example, about the patriarchy, mm-hmm. what they are meaning is. A system built by a number of individual men, yeah. For example, and the, the risk is that you have that you export ideas, as you were saying, you're exporting suspicion from one situation into yeah. another situation, yeah, where it's not necessarily the right frame of mind, to and have. it wasn't helpful. No, exactly, and that's that's the crucial thing. I'm I'm not against any kind of radical examination of how we live and and what structures are behind what we live in. Mm -hmm. But we need to make sure that what what we as individuals get out of that are things that work for us as individuals. Yes, yes, completely, completely. Um, And and this is where I get interested by things like, so you mentioned there the patriarchy and that's been a certain number of people. And because of how historically things are set up, yes, that was mostly men. Yeah. Fine. But I think that in a way, this is so complicated to say and my, my brain's not working fast enough for no, the no, idea no, no, that's formulating in there it, I think that's where it's almost where you could get into not gendering roles and just thinking of things as individuals outside of that kind of role base I suppose but, because yeah I I don't know that yeah that whole idea of the patriarchy and then we funnel that down into things that are happening today but things it, it has moved on Yes, and I think I think again this is the whole point about individuals and whether that's exceptions or rules. Yeah. But then then a then a kind of kind of residual 
in my case, inherited Marxism comes in. Right. And I would, yeah. And I would then say, well, I actually think a peasant woman had less in common with Eleanor of Aquitaine than the King of France had with Eleanor of Aquitaine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The King of France and Eleanor of Aquitaine, who actually were married to each other for a while, yeah, they both grew up having all their needs met by servants, having no no sense that if they don't get the firewood, they'll be cold tonight. Right. Now, even though they have, have different gendered roles, their position uh, has a lot of similarities. Yes, whereas absolutely. Whereas Eleanor of Aquitaine obviously would have a period and so would the peasant woman, yeah? But maybe the firewood thing... Over, yeah, and, and the, the lack of imminent more. threat of starvation and... Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. The general reverence from everyone around you, and 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 so that feeds into the the other notion, which is exactly that things aren't haven't necessarily been a patriarchy as much as a sort of oligarchy. Yes, I'd and, say so. And some people in that system will be people with power, and very often those people have been men. But it's the power rather than the gender. It's the power that goes power plus gender other than just gender maybe yeah completely completely and and I think that's that feeds into thinking about inequality and this is something I've thought a lot because you see and this is a social media thing almost um that there is an element of like the hardship olympics out there yes and one hears a great deal about privilege now in some categories you can say yeah absolutely for example I'm a white person on an above average income in the west I um privileged yes absolutely yes and then you know obviously (laughs) racial inequality is a thing for sure um i would we've got 10 minutes left on this zoom link and then i have to send you another one um however it's almost like we put people in tears but it's really more circles in the air isn't it and venn diagrams and sort of onion layers for example um a person with a severe disability Yes. Has less privilege than someone who is of an ethnic minority, but is wealthy and able-bodied. Yes. For yes. example. So yes. it's, it's almost like you're saying, you know, same as uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine. It's yes. it's more complicated than yeah. the bare bones of that individual and whether they're XY chromosome or XX chromosome, because yeah. Eleanor was elevated above most of the men in the kingdom, actually, at that time. Yeah. And yes. could have made commands and, yes. done, and done things that they couldn't have achieved. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Equally, at one point she ended up in prison. So she did. You know, so being incarcerated, that makes her one of the. the yeah, but, but absolutely. And so that's where the whole idea that life is a bit more complicated and nuanced comes yes. in. Um, and that's uh, why I think it is dangerous when you see slogans applied to things. Yeah. And we can all think of some. And it's not that those things aren't true, they yeah. probably are. It's yeah. just that underneath the slogan, there are so many layers and so many permutations and yeah. so much complexity that actually, aside from a bit of shock value, it renders them slightly useless from an, an emotional intelligence, from a social intelligence yeah. and from a progress point of view. Because if you see groups of people as just slogans, then you remove all that nuance and you remove all that capacity for learning and actually finding connection because it tends to be incredibly divisive. Also, the thing about a slogan um, is, interestingly, I think it comes from the Gallic word meaning a, a war cry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I like that. I didn't know so, that. So that's what it's there for. It's there to rally the troops like a flag and you use it for the next, for the battle ahead. Yeah. It's not necessarily to do with persuading the people who are in a line against you that there might be a lot of truth in your argument. Yes. And so, and, and one of the things that always strikes me about a slogan is how um, how impersonal it is. Yeah. Because this isn't how you would choose to describe a position. No. This is how someone somewhere chose to describe. And obviously, sometimes people say things in such a concise and interesting way that you go, yes, I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. But but I'd like then to hear someone taking a slogan and saying, um, this is the slogan, but to me, this means this. 
Right. Which actually feeds into what I'd like to talk about when we get back after our when break. we come back yes when we come back yeah which is about which is about how you manage when you're talking about a word that none of you entirely are sure what it means brilliant and how you how you um how you kind of throw meaning at something and see what happens so brilliant. That, let's that's... do that I think if why don't we stop this section here yeah and then I'll, I'll send you another link and we'll we'll brilliant. go again so, um, feeding on a bit from that, we were talking about slogans and words and meaning. Yes. Um, the thing that struck me that I learned, I suppose, to, uh, this week, um, I went to a meeting with regard to a work project that I'm, uh, project that I'm, I'm, I'm working on. And um, with three other people, we started trying to define a word in one language in terms of another language. Right. And given it's a word that doesn't have an immediate translation, it was fascinating how different people approached that search for meaning. So it's not that word I want to talk about. It's, how, it's actually the, the way in which people find out what something means if there isn't an, a, a translation. Yeah. And some people were doing a sort of scattergun approach where they were sort of yelling out individual nouns that were something near it. Yeah. Right. So so you'd, you'd get towards that, then, then the next noun would move it a little bit nearer and so on. And other people were um, just going for examples okay. of the feeling that it gave you. And it's a feeling, it's a word about that's to do with, the environment in which you feel comfortable. And you know what I'm like for an anecdote. And we've said that in this, I, you know, I have to be so careful. I have to deny myself anecdotes. I, I was going to mention that, actually. I think we could use, you asked me to limit you on anecdotes, but then you didn't say what your limit would be. Yeah, no. Well, what was quite Yeah, I reckon three. Okay. Um, uh, and only one, one per hour involving a member of my family and somebody famous. That's, Fine. That's <laughs> okay. um, I know my own weakness, but what was but what was interesting was um, in this quest. So four people looking for a, looking for a meaning, a way we can put the meaning across. Um, I ended up talking about swimming in a lake which is full of peat. Very difficult. And the smell of that, the smell of that, yeah, and the water that is like tea, and yeah. when you. And when you drink it, it's got that Earl Greyish sort of strange smoky taste. Yes. And how the squidge is under your feet. But I was describing the word by bringing it into a particularized story. Yeah. And I said, if you know, if you want to know what I feel about this word that means your home habitat or where you belong or whatever, okay. all I can come up with is swimming in a peaty lake which wasn't very good because actually was supposed to be telling other people what it meant and rather than that i said this was an occasion when i experienced this right feeling which isn't the same thing at all no um but it did make me wonder what we do when we're trying to i mean i bet this comes up a lot with horse terms where a word is unfamiliar to people yes and you're trying to describe it it does it does and actually that it reminds me a bit uh because i'm project manager in tech so i work with a lot of overseas clients a lot of people with yeah. english as a second third fourth fifth language yeah uh, and it, it reminds me a bit of the process of how we learn other languages because well, I don't know about you, but I don't remember learning my native language, which is English. No. I have the experience of learning other languages because I do speak others. Yeah. But I already had my native language to compare them to when I was learning. Yes. I had my basic yes. understanding, my base understanding of how 
things fit together and how we derive meaning and how we make patterns and, and how to nonsense my way through a sentence where I didn't really know where I was going with it, which I've done yes. a few times yes. today already. Um, but, I, you know, I, it's it's interesting about that not remembering that core learning process. And do you think that could be where people came at that exercise differently because of actually how they had been familiarized with the, with their native language with their first uh, language uh, i think that's i think that's i think that is highly likely and i think that that what you're talking about really is a language instinct which i think chomsky says we all have we've all got an innate sense of grammar um that we're born with right um, okay and what i find fascinating about that is having brought children up bilingually. Yes. How they know that words work in different patterns in their different languages. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to matter to them at all. They can hold it in their head. And how much harder it is when you come to be 14 and you're sitting in a French class mm -hmm. and somebody's trying to teach you. And it's almost as if it's almost as if we've got this. In hate, innate, um, almost a, an instinct towards learning, yeah, an understanding, and then we sort of block it as we get older. As we, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's yeah. funny, and and I think that that thing that relates actually back to what we spoke about right at the start, right at the start when um, you said that you self sabotage to avoid criticism by kind of embracing yeah. criticism and, and creating the criticism you know you will be there yeah and yeah. is there something about that about being under scrutiny yes and I have an example of this from like two days ago two days ago yeah. Yeah. so so um I'd never played a video game in my life before I met my partner right. he's brilliant at them right um so I started to play a video game and now I've got into it I bought myself a Nintendo Switch and I'm learning and of course I'm very naughty right. because I'm very new but I can actually do some stuff until he yeah. sits there and watches. And then I am klutz city. I'm awful. Yes. My timing goes to pot. I get flustered. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. So it's like that, that kind of comparison thing. Yes. Where we're like, yes. oh, I can't quite embrace this. Because I can remember early experiences speaking Norwegian. And I'm still not good, but I was worse. Until I got drunk. And then yes. I became much better. But yes. I think I I let go of that social inhibitor. Yes. That makes you go, oh, I can't possibly try. Oh, it'll be awful. Oh, my God. Oh. Um, whereas I've had several glasses of wine in me and would just put out a sentence. Because language, as you say, is about pattern. So if that pattern is a little bit squiff, that yeah. won't matter. Your meaning will get through unless you say every word wrong. Uh, absolutely. And and uh, two things that, 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 that fit in directly with that. The project I'm working on at the moment, one of the purposes of it is to try and help creative people bridge from knowing a lot of their second language to being confident enough to work in it. Brilliant. Right? Which and, is what you've done. That's because you publish yeah. in both languages. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things, well, one of the, um, uh, the my collaborators in this, who is a Brilliant, brilliant theatre maker and really, really interesting. I said to her the other day, I said, one of the problems that you've got here is that you are trying to do too much. You need to know how to make theatre in this language. Yeah. So the sort of vocabulary you need to be a successful deep sea diver is totally irrelevant. Yeah. You don't know it. You yep. don't know it. doesn't yep. matter. And, and yeah. so is advanced grammar because, I mean, some of the funniest films ever made with silence so yes yeah and and yeah. um i was talking about this the other day with a friend um don't know whether this is true or not but i think it is my father said it was true um one of the reasons why the germans couldn't the romans couldn't push into germany over the rhine is because at that time the, the language of the people they were trying to make a treaty with didn't have a conditional tense Wow. So, so the Romans were saying, if you were to cross the river, we would do this. And the people they were talking to turned around and said, but we haven't. Yeah. And 
they couldn't see the point of having that because we haven't structure. done it so what are you even talking about talking about high theory yeah. yeah yeah get lost with your theory i need to and... apply that to how i worry about things i think y yes i think i need to be more across the rhine yes well, that's really... yes. well it hasn't it hasn't well <laughs> now here's here's an interesting here's an interesting thing i've been for various reasons, thinking about the, the interface between language and anxiety, really. And go, go, go. What we do, because we can imagine perils. Yes. And um, I, a friend of mine who has had, I mean, she has had really serious anxiety, to be fair. Mm -hmm. um, and, but a lot of the stuff that she's very anxious about seems to me that there's an evolutionarily good reason for this yes so she hates for example train tunnels yes and i was saying to her well imagine a time when we're living in a kind of a more hunter-gatherer environment there are two caves um i walk into one whistling and get eaten by a bear because i'm not worried about going into a tunnel yep and then everyone else learns to be worried about going into the tunnel. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. went on the outside with a spear and a flame. Yeah, whose DNA is going to get carry on? You know, yeah. I've be, I've become an absolute bear snack at the back of the cave. Yeah, and yeah, you're a footnote so, in the annals of history. So, so part of my theory, yeah, totally, is, is is and language is is a is a key part of it. Is is have we for a long time? had a kind of balance between um, what we can describe to ourselves and our fears mm. and what we need to overcome and our bravery. Yeah. But maybe now the problem is we don't necessarily have an awful lot of exercise of physical bravery. We maybe have to exercise emotional bravery. Yes. And so therefore we that balance is skewed maybe towards worrying about stuff and um i agree i agree and i have a theory on this and i have a thought yeah, on this uh, that i think we've discussed before but not on air um so i i think that the human animal because we are an animal which is a big smart yeah. monkey at the end of the day mm. we have an appetite for a certain amount of adversity yeah if that adversity is not present in the environment i think our brain will come up with it anyway mm. it, it, i i think that's i think that's true I also wonder whether, imagining ourselves now having moved on from the cave, but to a point where we're living in, let's say, I don't know, an agricultural community where there are wolves. Okay. So in that agricultural community where there are wolves, thinking of my brothers, yeah, one of them would be more likely to go and kill a wolf than the others. Yes. Right? Now, obviously there's a risk that he gets eaten yes but there's also for anyone that wishes to marry a wolf slayer yes there's <laughs> so a distinct draw yeah yeah and i wonder whether you know we thankfully we live in more peaceful times yes. and less wolfish times um so maybe what we've done is is have we got rid of the premium the breeding premium for bravery so now people who are full of anxiety and wouldn't take on a wolf they may be absolutely brilliant at writing software. Yeah. Which they can make an absolute fortune out of. Yeah. Obviously, you could say, well, there's entrepreneurialism, which is maybe the wolf slaying of our day. But I just... Oh, yeah, you could go and run a marathon or, um, or climb a big mountain or something. Yes, yes. You know. But that's more to do with personal suffering. That's more, if you want a medieval equivalent, that's more the monk. Uh, you know, going without food for 40 days than the knight madly going into battle, yeah? With it is, isn't it? Because we do that um, for ourselves. Yeah. Yes. And not, not yes. for others. So, yeah, I suppose you'd be a firefighter or something like that would be a better yes, yes. analogy for that. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Because it is, it's a personal challenge. It's, you know, man v mountain, for example. Bringing up mountains a lot because I'm climbing a big mountain this summer. Excellent. So you, you're, coming my... up to, you're, you're coming up to climb a mountain not far from me, aren't you? 
I was going to, I had an operation. Um, yes. But I am going to do that. I am going to do that again because there's a certain crib that's got my name on it. But this summer it's going to be Mont Blanc. Um, oh, fantastic. It's, it's a big one, yeah. But we'll get it back on top. No, I, I think I think that there really is something to what you say. I, I think that also maybe, um, maybe we pay the price of self-awareness now as well. Yes. I think I think yes. there were, in a way, simpler times when God took care of everything. Yes. Yes. And now we have a concept that maybe it's just down to us. And yeah. um yes. yeah, that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? But also, also then as a part of that, um comes back to uh, the idea about a life with or without pain. Mm-hmm. And um Again, this is something I may have said to you, I certainly said to another, to another friend recently, about um, when, as a child, um, your child, my childhood and my childhood contained an element of adversity. Yes. And I encounter quite a lot of people who, I mean, I, God knows, I did not attempt to introduce any adversity into my children's life. Let me just no, say this. I mean, adversity no, has a way of just occurring, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, but but I remember my mother coming home from school, and I was I hadn't even had anything bad happen to me, right? But I anticipated that a girl whose name was Julia might push me in the playground, right? And I said this to my mother, uh, a woman who endured a great deal of um, adversity and who herself was absolutely steeped in faith. So her her reaction is actually, at the time I was horrified by that. Looking back on it, I think I look back on it as quite good parenting. He said, on a scale from a perfect day to... To thee do we cling, frail children of dust, mourning and weeping in this veil of tears. <laughs> Where was this non-pushing incident with Julia? Would you say it's nearer to a perfect day or more or more to frail children of dust, mourning and weeping in a veil of tears? Yeah. And I decided that I had to categorise it as being far closer to an okay day. Yes, yeah, and that yeah, I, yeah. And that I should stop self-dramatizing yeah. about this issue. And I know yeah. this is some of this is classic um cognitive behavioral therapy in a way. It is, it is. yeah, absolutely. Because I was I hadn't even been pushed. No. I just was convinced that this girl was thinking evil of me. I mean, I would I would have started a witchcraft trial. Yeah. But, you know, if if I had been left unchecked. In yeah. my feet, with respect, what yeah. would I have assumed that she Stick was Stick her like? on the ducking stool, see if she floats. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, that's it. And also, I, th- I think it's uh, the, the ability to to build things up, to to grant, oh, no, um, to uh, it, aggrandize, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That, that, yes. that, that incident beyond what it is, because, okay, so let's say Julia did push you because she is a witch. Yeah. You'd have just fallen on the ground and that probably would have been fine also. A bit unpleasant because yeah. it would have hurt yeah. initially, but yes. y- your head wouldn't have fallen off. Um, yeah. But in your mind, it, it's possible to build things up. Way, and I've done that time and time and time again with things as a child and as an adult, because I think, you know, OK, we, we build that self-knowledge. We do grow out of certain behaviours, but we are the same human. Yes. So the yeah. thought processes and tendencies that you have as a child will will in some way they'll evolve, they'll mature, but they'll yeah. come with you. Yes. You know, I I had a tendency as a child to extreme privacy. Didn't want people to know what music I was listening to. Didn't want people yeah. to to know things about me. Particularly, I don't know where that comes from. No idea. Yeah. And I'm still quite like that. I'm still with new people very arm's length, and it takes quite a lot for for someone to to break that down. I mean, you did it successfully in one evening with the application of several bottles of red wine. Yeah. But but, but that's a compliment to you. But what's quite interesting about that, Aidy, though, is, is um, again, getting back to how our, physically, how our brains work. When I was a child, if I was injured, I would always go away. Right? Yes. And... Um, like a cat about to die. <laughs> exactly. Or an yeah. elephant's graveyard. And... Yeah. 
my parents said they found this incredibly annoying and difficult because they would just see a trail of blood leaving leading up to the little hut at the top. And where was love? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and they felt also that I didn't, I didn't kind of go for help until something was fairly serious. Sure. Um, which, by the way, was another a tray my father had as well. But I was talking to um, a neuroscientist uh, a couple of years ago. As you do. And she was saying that the brain processes emotional and physical pain in exactly the same area. Wow. Um, so a broken heart and a broken arm is dealt with in the same part of the brain and in the same way. Wow, okay. And she also said that because until 1920, the majority of deaths in the world were from communicable diseases, you're, you're evolutionarily demanded, your brain demands that when you feel pain, you isolate yourself. Right. Because... If you feel pain, it could be the onset of measles, which could run through the tribe and kill everybody. Right. So you go and sit in the long grass, as I did as a child, nursing yeah. your injury. Yeah. yeah. Um, for very good reasons. Um, but what she was talking about, she was talking about the way that feeds into mental health. Yeah. Because if you are sad you have a tendency to go and sit in the metaphorical long grass. I was going to use that phrase, I think that's excellent from now on, for, for nursing any kind of hurt, I think. I'll just, oh, I'm just sitting in the long grass at the moment. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and but in fact, so what she said was the best sort of practical tip is say to be aware that your brain is, your brain is treating you as an invalid when you are unhappy to start yes. with. So it'll be releasing the hormones to do with healing so allow that to happen. So that, that was a positive thing. But the negative side of it is you'll tend to isolate yourself because you have that instinct. And yeah. she said being aware of that instinct allows us to deal with our own traumas. I think so. But you're also talking about a different thing where you're saying, I don't want people to know about me. In a way, that's a defense mechanism. Surely. Definitely. It definitely is, but and and, and it, the interesting thing is that I, I've always had that, and I so I don't know why. Yeah, and, and maybe that needs to be one of the the challenges of my self reflection is to work out what the reason is for that. Fear yeah. of rejection would be my yes easiest guess. Yes, um, which is a, you know quite a deep rooted instinct, isn't it? But I am just theorising now because I I really don't know. Um, and I and I don't know how you go about that process, really. Maybe it's something that we talk about another time. It's how we unravel uh, such deep instincts. Not that I'd necessarily want it to go away, because it's there for a reason. It's a part of me. Yes. And I, I'm kind of I I deal with it very differently now. I I share, I share things a lot more easily. But there is um, still a tendency for remoteness with me. Yes. And I don't want to know a lot of people and I don't want a lot of people to know me. I, I'm extroverted. I'm sociable. Yeah. But that is different to knowing a person on a fundamental uh, level. Yes. And I would say, to use a technical psychiatric term, that's partly because you've got a very solid instinct to not want to be an absolute knob. <laughs> because, because. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Because people who presume a level of intimacy yes. and share and yeah. worse still, inflict their thoughts upon you, yes. when your level of relationship with them isn't there. Mm. Um, I mean, I, 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 I saw uh, three friends last night, who, the kids, our kids all grew up together, and one of the things I like about them is over the years, we've done a lot together and we've kind of, you know, looked after each other in difficult times or, you know, picked each other's kids up from things or whatever it might be. But we never trespass on each other. Yeah. We never say, I've woken up this morning feeling a bit gloomy. I'm mastering so-and-so yes. and inflict my misery on them. No, and, and I, I've had, I have relationships like that where people will just kind of divulge a great deal and kind of dump um without sort of testing the waters first 
Yes. Or being yeah. like, how are you? Are you? Can I tell you some things? Is that fine? Yeah. Um, I, because maybe it isn't, you know. And and also what how that I find, interestingly enough, uh, I was listening to somebody talking on the radio about what co- definition of community. Yeah. And what they were saying was, and this is why they, 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 there was a woman who has worked, she's worked a lot um, creating communities for people who'd left their own faith community. For right. Oh, reasons. a huge deal. A huge deal. So it might be that they um, were refugees, so no longer had a faith community mm. in the area where they were. Or it could be that they had been expelled or chosen to expel themselves yeah so so all of that comes with trauma doesn't it really and what she found was that they needed was some sense of a community and she said um well the problem is that the word itself is used particularly in an online context these days to describe yourself as being part of the um, I'll use a company that doesn't exist anymore, I hope. You know, oh, are you part of the Dorothy Perkins top buying community? Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and often, you know, sometimes you said to you, would you like to tip to join our online community? No, I've just bought a pair of shoes for Yes, you. I just want some knickers, yeah. Karen, come on. Yeah, it's not a community, yeah? yeah? And so her definition of what made a community, um, and I think this is interesting, and this is, I think, works for friendships, which is why I'm mentioning it here, is do you sometimes have to do something that you don't immediately want to do in the sure and certain knowledge that when you need something from that community, it will it will provide it? Oh, tasty. All right. And, and I reckon we're about to get a 10 minutes left pop up, but let, let's start this yeah. anyway, because we can go for a third round. Ah, there's so much there because I have to wonder, do you have the surety that you will get that from that community? And if you are required to do something you don't much want to do to get something back, is that a good situation? And is that true community? Now, I'm not saying that people should go around kind of expecting to get stuff for nothing, because I also don't believe in that as a principle. But I... There's something about the having to do something to get buy-in that is a real small step away from cultish behaviour. Well, you see, the the pushback that was given to that definition was somebody saying, well, can you do that without the threat of hell? (laughs) Well, well, I don't know. I don't know because it's it's the first thing, isn't it? You know, so I'm not a joiner, No. by the way. I'm not a club person as you could probably guess from everything I've said about myself but I I just think you know you hear stories about I'm getting into cults now I'm not saying every community is a cult but I I think that there is a problem with an expectation of certain behavior in order to get reward I I agree I would say that to me that the definition is more like an emergency service than an immediate trade-off right um but one of the things i find quite satisfying about that is if you're in a relationship that is going to last a long time with somebody a friendship or 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 even a sort of neighborliness doesn't necessarily mean the physical proximity of somebody but it's a feeling a feeling of 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 an interest in their well-being for whatever reason um you can you you travel on the roller coaster of life together and at any one time your life can be going down a sort of vortex of doom while they're doing okay yeah and the, and, and and the sort of pleasant aspect of that is that you pull each other out of holes and push each other up to where yes. you need to be yeah should without, do should do but, with, but without a dynamic of benefactor and victim completely and i i think where i've seen this go wrong my mother my mother used to refer to my mother as a lame duck fancier because one of the things that was bad is that somebody she'd helped through bad times when she got them back to onto an even keel they still wanted to to socialize with her and go out to the theater together right she'd say oh, no i need to find another charity case <laughs> 
she wouldn't she wouldn't say it in so many terms right but they would know that that's what she was doing yeah and that would then feed back into looking at their relationship and say oh so was she helping me because she cared about me and my outcomes or did she want or a project did she yeah was i a project and nobody nobody really wants to be a project no i think it's not and it's um it's very transactional yeah whereas if you if you say okay today i can look after this person's child even if they are a bit obnoxious for a couple of hours while they do something then they will feed my dog when i'm away yeah yes. and although i'd rather not spend time with their you know young lionel yeah <laughs> if my dog is kennel phobic yeah her coming in to feed the dog is a good thing so yeah. so and i know that is sounds a bit transactional but well, no, I guess it's, but that that is mutually beneficial. That's mutually beneficial. Yeah. Where, where I think we're like vulnerable people, kids, animals are concerned. There's that sense of the greater good um, mm. that you can kind of get into. I think, yeah, where, where I was saying before things can be a bit culty is when it's more like organisation, when it's like a community thing of you have to be or behave a certain way in order to gain acceptance. Um, well, that's 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 true. That's true. Although I'm thinking of an, a friend of mine sadly no longer with us who oh, had sorry. new neighbors moving and they asked him where they could find a contractor to plow a field right and he said oh never mind that he said i'll call by when i've got the plow on i'll do this in 10 minutes a 10 minute job for me and okay. pay somebody to come here and the woman he was talking to said but you you need you need to charge me for this because yeah. otherwise I'm holding to you. Yes. And he said, well, look, here's the thing. Supposing I was in, in town and I'd, I'd, I'd been at the market and it had taken me longer than I thought and I wasn't going to get back to pick up my mother's tablets from the surgery before the surgery closes. I would pick up the phone and ask you and you would nip down to the surgery. And she said, absolutely under no circumstances would I be at your beck and call. Oh, I'd rather pay a thousand pounds to have my field turned yeah. than be at your beck and call. And he was absolutely baffled by that. He couldn't yeah. understand how it didn't a little bit of that in the system. I can see both, you know, easier all around. I can see both. Yeah. Now, my spirit wants to go with the barter system. Yeah, because I'm a bit yeah. like that. Yeah. But I also get, I also understand wanting to just pay some money and then having no ties with it. Because yes. then how do you work out what's commensurate? Yes. And how that's... many runs to the pharmacy is one ploughed field? Yeah. Well, that's, this is where, this is where you have to then have a, a huge assumption of good faith. Yeah. Which maybe our lived experience would tell us whether or not it was it was valid i mean i'm going to say this is a part of the same anecdote but it isn't really so i'm getting sneaking in another one, You're sneaking so in another one. I, I forgot to count because i've been having a good time but let's call it this is number three um in the middle of covid somebody rang me and she said she was in just recently moved into the area here and was in in need of some help because uh the water wasn't working and she had a child with disabilities so she really needed to have uh, and i said well had she run the waterboard she had and i said well i tell you what i can do i can't get you drinking water but i can get you water good enough to run the washing machine um i'll make a couple of calls and see if i can get someone to do it so i did and um i then rang her back and i said okay 11 o'clock someone will arrive with water and she, I said, can I have the name of your house? And she said, no. I said, why? Um, and she said, because I'm just not giving anyone the name of my house. And I said, well, I'm not giving you a Bowser of water then. Yeah. yeah? I'm, I'm asking someone who's working in the middle of a working day to stop working, get a Bowser of water. Yeah, it bring up, it to you. Get it on a, all of that because you're in a difficult situation the minimum i need is a place for him to go to be able to drop that off 
Anyway, not only she gave me the, 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 um, the name, she rang up and afterwards she said, he was brilliant. And he made a phone call and got a plumber as well. And I've never met people like it. And I said, well, it's only a really small thing. Yeah. yeah? And, and you were in a fix. Perhaps you won't ever be in a fix again. But if that person needed help, would you would you not offer to help? Forward, yeah. he, he, she said, yes, she would. But her point was her lived experience up until that point had been if you tell people where you live, they'll probably exploit you in some way. Right, and something bad is going to happen. She hasn't got there for, for no reason. No. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 but then that bit of kindness helps to maybe break that cycle, right? Yeah. But then again, that's the whole point about what do you bring to that moment when that question is asked? And that's integrity. True. True. And that's and where we're going to have to leave it because we've got three and a half minutes left on the phone call. We said we'd do an hour. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, Thank you for a lovely conversation. Um, we're, we're not on the social medias. If anyone did want to get in touch, there is an email address, which is millingtheair at gmail.com. I can't promise to remember to check it, but at some point I will. Um, and yeah, hope you liked it and uh, join us next time because we'll be talking again.